You're listening to He Is Here, a sermon series about God's faithfulness. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Elevate, we're doing good. Everybody good, everybody good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you're running out of time. Tell them they're running out of time to get you that perfect gift. Christmas is right around the corner. They better go shopping for you. You've been good, right? Tell them. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I'm so glad you are joining us today. I know there's a lot of different places you could be, but you're here, and so we are thankful. We are grateful. We pray that it is a blessing to you uh, because you're here, okay? So while we are in the second week of a series, we are calling He Is Here. He Is Here. And as we start this morning, I just want y'all to be honest. Can y'all be honest? All right. How many of y'all just be honest and admit you got kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we're like, that ain't my kids, you know, when they do stuff, right? I'm just kidding, but kids really are. They're a blessing. Uh, I got three kids. I love my kids so much. Uh, But uh, kids do have this ability to hurt your heart, don't they? Got an ability to hurt your heart. Like uh, uh, just this past week, uh, Lawson Cruz, my son, he's he is 16 months old, and he's not really able to say a whole lot of words from the English language yet. He can say like "stop it." He can say uh, "mama." He can say "dada." He can say "ball." He can say "bye." Uh, he can say stuff like that. I'm convinced he can speak a uh, foreign language because there's a lot of times he's talking, and he looks at me like I should understand what he's saying. Uh, but I just, I just don't know. But again, um, the other, uh, this past week, uh, I was walking into the house, and when our door opens, it kind of beeps. And so Amanda was like, she has Lawson, and so Amanda's like, Daddy's home. Lawson, Daddy, Daddy is here. And so Lawson comes walking over there to me, and I'm kind of smiling. I'm excited. I'm thinking, he wants me to, to pick him up. So I reach down to pick him up, and as soon as I reach down to pick him up, he he runs away from me and shaking his head like this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, hurt my heart, man. Y'all pray for me, man. I've been crying about it all week. I would just love it, though, if my kids and, and my wife, man, would they, I would love it if they just celebrated my presence. You know what I mean? Uh, I just really, I really would. Uh, if you know your Bible, really, even if you don't know your Bible, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. You know how David, a little uh, shepherd boy, basically comes and he kills this giant. He cuts off his head. And as they're going back into the city, the Bible says that women uh, from the town where they were going came out with harps and tambourines and they began to sing songs about David. You can read all about it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Well, I keep hoping that one day I'm going to come home and, and my wife and kids are going to have harps and tambourines and they're in there singing songs about my presence and just glad that I'm there. It's probably never going to happen though, so, you know. But it is, it's Christmas time. It's a time we're supposed to celebrate the presence of God. We celebrate the presence of Jesus, the fact that He is here. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call Him Emmanuel, 
which means God is with us. So, folks, God really is with us. He's here, and we ought to celebrate His presence because He promises never to leave us. He promises never to forsake us. He really is here. But sometimes, sometimes it's hard for us to see that. Really, sometimes it's even hard for us to believe that. Last week, we said that even when we're in the valley, even when we are in times of struggle, in times of battle, we need to understand that God is there. God is here. And today, I want to talk to you about a message titled, He is here in the wilderness. He is here in the wilderness. Now, what in the world is the wilderness? What does that mean? The wilderness is different from the valley. It's different from the valley because a lot of times the wilderness lasts much longer than the valley. Uh, the, the wilderness is a barren place. It is a dry place, a, a desolate place. It's a place where you really feel all alone. In the Old Testament, you can read about the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years. They were in the wilderness for 40 years, but the Bible doesn't just say that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. The Bible describes that 40-year process or that 40-year length of time as them wandering around in the wilderness, just kind of living in a holding pattern. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in kind of a similar situation where you feel like you're in this dry place and it feels like you're all alone and it feels like you're just living your life, going in a circle and you wonder, when in the world are things going to get better? When in the world are things going to change. See, some of you right now, you may feel just like that. You may feel like you're in a wilderness type situation. Maybe you're stuck in some sort of financial burden and you wonder, when am I going to get out of this? You're stuck in some sort of medical situation. You've got some, some illnesses that are going on and you're wondering, man, I've been sick for so long. When am I going to get out of this situation. Maybe your, your marriage is, is falling apart and, and maybe you're in this marriage where there feels like there's no love and you are wondering, man, when in the world are things going to get better? When in the world are things going to change? Maybe you're single and you just keep dating people after people after people and everybody you date seems to be bad. You know what I mean? And you wonder, when am I going to find Mr. Right? When am I going to find Mrs. Right? When am I going to find that perfect person, you feel alone, you feel lost, it happens, and we really feel like a lot of times when we're in the wilderness that nobody understands what we're going through. What's interesting about most wilderness experiences in the Bible is that they often follow mountaintop experiences. The Israelites, they were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage, they were slaves, they were oppressed, and so finally God sends a guy to uh, to Pharaoh. His name is Moses. He sends Moses to Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. That's what God says. Let my people go, but Pharaoh wouldn't do it. So God sends plagues, basically 10 plagues to, to basically wreck Egypt. Uh, God turns the, the water in the Nile River into blood. I mean, it's gross. He sends frogs to cover the land. Here a frog, there a frog, everywhere a frog, frog. Man, they were everywhere. God sends lice you know what lice is? Lice, man. People, it was all over the place. People had lice. God sends flies. He, he calls the livestock 
to die. He, he caused boils to appear all over the Egyptians' bodies, man. Boils, these blisters, these sores that would just ooze nastiness. He sent, he sent hell, and I don't just mean like pea-size hell or quarter-size hell. We're talking about huge hell from the sky that just demolished and destroyed the entire land. Then what wasn't destroyed by the hell, God sent locusts to basically finish it off. He covered the land in darkness. He caused the death of the firstborn from the Egyptians' children. All this was happening to the Egyptians. All of this was happening where they lived, but where the Israelites were staying in Egypt, the Israelites were unaffected by any of these things. And so Pharaoh finally says to Moses, and he says to the Israelites, it's time for y'all to leave. You need to go get out of here. So that's what the people do. They, they leave. But as soon as they leave, Pharaoh has a change of heart. So he sends his army to chase the Israelites. He's going to kill them. But the Israelites are at the edge of the Red Sea. And what Moses does is he raises his staff and the Red Sea parts. There's literally a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And the Israelites, they cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, so what happens is when they get to the other side, the Egyptians think, hey, you know what? Let's follow them through this. And so as they begin to follow them, the walls of water come crushing down and all of the Egyptian army, man, they are wiped out. It's a miracle. It is a mountaintop experience. The Israelites are thinking, God saved us. They're praising God. They're, they're singing songs to God. In Exodus chapter 15, they're singing songs. They're praising God. They're singing so much that, that their mouth gets dry. They're, they're, they're singing so much that they get Thirsty. You ever been talking so much? You're like, man, I need something to drink, right? So that's what happens. They're praising God. They're singing. They need something to drink. But guess what? Walmart was closed. They looked around the wilderness. There wasn't a Walmart there. There wasn't a, there wasn't a Kroger there. There was no place for them to get water. And so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? You see that for three days. They're searching for water. For three days, they're, they're really, they're, their throats, man, they're like, man, we got to get some liquid. We need some electrolytes. We need something going on. We need something to drink. But they can't find anything and so in their mind they're thinking man Moses Moses why are we why are we in this wilderness what when are things going to change did you bring us out here to die is that is that what this is and and so look at what happens in chapter 16 starting in verse 2 Bible says in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron the Israelites said to them if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So they didn't have anything to drink. They didn't have anything to eat. And again, this wilderness experience. When are things going to change? This wilderness experience follows a mountaintop experience. Something amazing happens. They were rescued. They were saved. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then boom, wilderness desert. 
happened to the Israelites and it even happened to Jesus. See, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Jesus had a, a mountaintop type experience with God. It happens when he is baptized by John at the Jordan. See, what happens is he's baptized and when he's baptized, the heavens, they literally open up. They literally open up and, and there's a voice from heaven. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove and rests on Jesus and God very audibly. Very audibly, what he does is he, he, he announces how he is pleased with Jesus. Look at what Mark chapter 1, verse 11 says. The Bible says this, And a voice from heaven came, said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is basically the father saying, Hey, hey I'm proud of you, son. I, I love you, son. It's a mountaintop experience, but that's verse 11. Look at verse 12, the very next verse. It says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Where did he go? The wilderness. He went into the wilderness, again, a dry place, a desolate place, a barren place. And something I had never noticed about this particular incident before until this past week as I was studying it is, is this. Watch. So it says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. Again, I've read this passage many, many times, but I don't ever think I've noticed that he was with the wild animals. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever noticed that before. How many of y'all have ever seen the movie The Jungle Book? The Jungle Book, not like the new one that they just remade. I'm talking about like the original cartoon. You know what I'm saying? It had songs that would kind of be in there that you'd be singing, you know, cut the bare necessities the simple bare necessity y'all know what i'm talking about right so i love that movie man i love that movie i love that movie when i was a kid and so and so man i remember watching that movie as a kid thinking man that would be amazing i mean this kid was raised by a pack of wolves right and then he he grows up he's swinging from branches he's talking to bears he's talking to tigers and panthers man i'm like man that would be the life right but but you, you, this is this is what he looks like right he, he says man that'd be great you have to worry about what you're going to wear. You just put some leaves on. You're good to go, right? Right? I ain't worried about my hair. Look at, and, 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 and I thought, man, it'd be great to be with these wild animals. The only problem is, you know, bears don't really look like that. You know, lions and panthers, they, they, don't, really, they don't really look like You know what a bear looks like? That's what a bear looks like, man. I don't want to be, oh, I, I'd be running from that, right? I would not want to live my life that way. So why in the world... Does, does Mark include the fact that Jesus was with the wild animals? Well, why, why is he the one that says that? Now, I can't help but think of that show, Naked and Afraid. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying Jesus was naked or afraid. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that. But have you ever, how many of you have ever seen that show? Some of y'all are like, uh, I've seen that show. Yeah, so, so it's crazy. What, what happens is these people, they meet up. These two people don't even know each other. They, they meet up in the wilderness, right? Where they wilderness. And so when they get there, like the first thing that they need to do is introduce themselves, but they're naked. It's kind of weird. Hey, what's up? Hey, it's good to see you. You too. Let's go find shelter. And so that's what they do. They got to build shelter, right? So they build shelter. And so if you ever watch the show, what happens at night is they don't turn the porch light on. It's pitch black. 
pitch black. The only reason you're able to see them on the show at night is because the camera crew has night vision cameras or they've got night vision cameras up in the tree, right? And so you can see them and they look all green, right? And so every now and then when you're watching it, what will happen is you'll hear like a wolf howl. And what happens? Then people, they wake up and their eyes are real white. You know what I'm saying? They'll hear something rustling, you know, in the bushes outside. And they're scared to death. They're scared to death. That's, that's, really, what, that's really what's happening. It messes with their mind psychologically. Well, Jesus doesn't eat for 40 days or 40 nights. He's got to already be on the edge, right? Plus, he's out there with wild animals. And I know some of y'all are saying, no, it wouldn't be a big deal for me. Okay, okay. But also, guess who's with him? Satan. The real Satan. Not your mother-in-law. Not your aunt and uncle that you don't really like to see at Christmas. This is the real deal. <laughs> Satan. He is there. Can you imagine the emotions that are going through Jesus' mind right here? I mean, this is a wilderness experience. This was a scary place to be in. And again, this happens immediately. After, a mountaintop experience. Well, I can't help but think, again, that some of the people who are here today, man, you found yourself in some pretty similar situations. Things were going great. Things were better than they had ever been. They were better than they had been in a long time. But then you felt like you were driven into some sort of wilderness situation where you felt like you were all alone in the dark. And you wonder, and when is this going to end? For 40 days, Jesus was in the wilderness. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. And see, when we're in the wilderness, we oftentimes wonder, when is this going to end? When are we going to make it out? But if we're just honest, sometimes when we're in the wilderness, we wonder, where are you, God? Where are you, God? See, in the Old Testament, you can read, about one of, the, one, of the, one of the major prophets, one of the best prophets, one of the most amazing prophets, a guy by the name of Elijah. I mean, God did so many great and amazing things through him and his ministry. And there's this one situation that literally occurs on top of a mountain, on top of Mount Carmel. What happens is uh, Elijah rolls up on Mount Carmel to have a showdown, basically, with 450 prophets of Baal, and he's all alone. So he is severely outnumbered, basically 450 to 1. Y'all wonder, man, how's he so smart? Well, I went to Pearl, and so I'm able to get statistics like that just real fast, okay? So there's 450 people against him, man. And so Elijah's like, look, guys, let's find out who the real God is. He says, look, if Baal is God, I want you guys to build a little altar, and I'll build an altar. And so we're, we're all going to call on the name of our God, and, and whatever God answers by fire, let's all just agree that that's God. That's God. And so they're all, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Elijah says, okay, you guys go first. And so the prophets of Baal, what they do is they build this altar. Then they call upon their God. Man, I want you to see this. In 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 26, the Bible says this. So they took the bull giving them and prepared them and prepared it. Then they called in the name of Baal from morning until noon. How long did they call in the name of Baal? From morning until noon. Man, I... I'd have been frustrated. 
I got kids, man. If I call their name and they're not there in five minutes, I'm frustrated. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And so they're doing this from morning until noon. They're just calling out, Bell, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And watch what Elijah does. I like this guy. It's verse 27. It says at noon, Elijah began to taunt them, saying, shout louder. He said, surely he is God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. Some translations say that Elijah says perhaps he is relieving himself in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Again, he's making fun of them. He's taunting them. I like this guy. Verse 28 says, So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. And this is like a train wreck you can't help but look at. You know, you don't want to watch, but you can't turn around. These guys, man, they're screaming, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. Man, blood is going everywhere. I can see Elijah going, ooh, these folks are weird, man. You've been around some people like this? They're weird. Look at verse 29. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. So till evening, from morning until evening, they're doing this. No one answered. No one paid them attention. So finally, Elijah's like, hey, man, if I let them do this, They'll do this forever unless I step in and stop them. So look at verse 30. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him and repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seeds of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time. And so he, they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So what Elijah has done is he has saturated this, this offering so that there was no possible way it was accidentally going to catch on fire. And so watch what happens in verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Man, this crazy. If you see this, you'd be like, what? And so look at what happens, verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, of course, they were scared to death, but Elijah had a little thug in him because watch what he does in verse 40. It says this, verse 40. Then Elijah commanded, cease the prophets of Baal. Don't let anybody get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. Thug life right there, boy. Slaughtered them. So Elijah has this mountaintop experience. It was awesome. It was great. I mean, imagine, you call down fire from heaven? How many of y'all ever done that? Nobody. Yeah, man, look what I did. That'd be amazing. This was a mountaintop experience. But guess what? As soon as this is over, guess where he finds himself? In a wilderness. He's discouraged. He's depressed. He, he, he's, he's really desperate. He's scared for his life. See, let me give you a little bit of context. There was this evil king, this evil king by the name of King Ahab. And, and King Ahab had this wife who was even more evil than he was. Her name was 
Jezebel. And so Jezebel had heard about all that Elisha had done, and so she got mad. She got mad, and she essentially said to her husband, Look, I have waited long enough for you to kill this man. Step out of the way and let me do it. Let a woman do the job. And so she sends word to Elijah that says basically this, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. She threatened him. She threatened Elijah. Now King Ahab had been chasing after Elijah for years and years and years and years. But as soon as a woman got mad at him, Elijah got scared. Elijah got scared because, men, let's face it, ain't nothing like a woman who's mad at you. For real? Some of y'all are like, oh, my wife's never mad at me. You don't be lined up in church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A woman scorned, right? And so here's what happens, man. King Ahab, again, he'd been making threats and threats and threats against Elijah for years. But finally, Jezebel makes a threat, and he's running for his life. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 3. The Bible says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into where? The wilderness. See, we read over this now, and we might not really think much about it. I mean, he ran to Beersheba in Judah. Well, what, what does that really mean? Well, I want you to understand this. This was way before planes, trains, and automobiles. This was way before Uber had been invented. And so here's this guy right here, Elijah. He is on foot. He's on foot, and he is running. That means he traveled over a hundred miles to Beersheba in Judah. This is Forrest Gump stuff. You know what I'm saying? He was running. You know what I'm saying? He's, that's what's happening. This man is running. He's hurting. He's desperate. And he comes to a broom bush and he sits down under it. Look at verse four. It says he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. You see that? He, he, basically, he basically says, man, I just can't take anymore. Have you ever been there? Man, I, I just can't take anymore. I just can't do it. If you're raising teenagers, there comes a point where you say, man, I'm trying everything I can, but I've had enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're raising a 7-year-old and a 12-year-old. And, and they're always fighting, especially in the car. So you think, man, I've had enough. Don't make me come back there. I've had enough. I, I've, I've had enough. Maybe at work it's just so bad, and you think, man, man, I have had enough. Maybe again in your marriage you think, man, I have had enough. Maybe financially you're, you're, in, you're, you're up to your eyeballs in debt, and, and every time you think you're going to get ahead, man, the air condition breaks, the water heater breaks, man, the toilet overflows, and you think, man, I have had enough. You're overwhelmed, and you, you turn into kind of like Jezebel where you think, man, I'm about to kill somebody if something happens again. And you, get, you just get to this place where you've had enough. Well, that's where Elijah finds himself, this prophet, this great man of God. He's overwhelmed, and he's tired. He's just wore out. But have you ever been there where you're just tired, and you wore out, and you nap, and you sleep, but the nap and the sleep doesn't seem to help? You ever been there? That's what Elijah does. He naps and he sleeps, but it doesn't really help him with his dilemma. Why? 
Because he doesn't need physical rest. He needs spiritual nourishment. Which is honestly what we need more often than not. When our marriage is struggling, you know what we need? Spiritual nourishment. When our kids are frustrating us, you know what we need? Spiritual nourishment. When work has you down, you know what you need? Spiritual nourishment. In wilderness wanderings, what you need is an encounter with the very real and very holy presence of God. What you need is an intimate moment with God where you experience His grace, His goodness, His loving kindness, and His mercy. You're you're not just tired. Maybe you need some rest. Maybe that would help. But again, more often than not, more often than not, what you and I need is an encounter with the living God. We need spiritual replenishment. That's what David said in Psalm 23. He said, you know what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He is the Lord and He restores my soul. There are just times in life where that's what we need, is for our soul to be restored. Not just because we're physically exhausted. Again, it goes back to our soul, to spiritual spiritual nourishment that we need. So what does God do? What does God do? Well, what I love is what God doesn't do for Elisha. God doesn't begin to preach at Elisha and say, man, this is all your fault. God doesn't look at Elisha and say, here's 10 Bible verses that you need to memorize that will help you. He doesn't say, where's your faith? That's not what happens. God tells Elisha to eat and rest. He tells him to eat and rest. Look at verse 5. Here's Here's what it says. It says, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep, and all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals on a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. See, folks, I'm just going to be real with you. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do and that I can do when we're going through a wilderness situation is just to rest. But not just rest. We rest in the presence of God. Don't just rest. You rest in the presence of God and feed off of what He's giving you. Just like we're doing today. We've gathered in this place to feed off of His Word. And you know what Elijah does after he eats? He falls asleep again. And then I like verse 7 because the Bible says this. It says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. I love that. I love the fact that God comes after us a second time a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. I love the fact that God constantly pursues us. It says the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up for the journey is too much. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And you know what happens? Elijah gets in a cave. And he spends the night in the cave. And you know what happens again? God comes to him again. God comes to him again and basically says, man, why are you running? What are you doing? You've got access to me, Elisha. 
And, and, and what Elijah does is Elijah begins to talk to God, but Elijah kind of gets whiny as he's talking with God. And I don't know if you guys do that, but sometimes when I'm talking to God, I get, I get whiny. Is anybody else who do that? God, I'm living for you. Why aren't you hearing my prayer? God, I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening to me? Elijah's like, God, I'm the only person that's living for you. There's nobody else out there living for you. Man, why isn't anyone helping me? So God tells Elijah, look, you don't need other people. You need my presence. You need my presence. So God tells Elijah to go and stand on the mountainside because he's about to pass by. And so that's what Elijah does. Elijah goes and he stands on the mountainside. This is amazing. I want you to see this. Verse 11 the Bible says, the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It's amazing. Watch this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered rocks before the Lord. Now, if you're Elijah and, and you're out there waiting on the presence of God and this happens, aren't you thinking, there it is. That's the presence of God. But look at what the Bible says. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then after the wind, guess what happened? There's an earthquake. Again, you're waiting on the presence of God. You're waiting on God to do something, and the earth shakes. How many of y'all are going to think, man, that's God? But look what the Bible says. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. So again, he's waiting on the presence of God. And verse 12 says, after the earthquake came a fire. Again, what are you thinking? That's God. It's got to be God. But what does the Bible say? But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face because he realized, man, this is God. He pulled his cloak over his face and he went and stood out at the mouth of the cave. See, I'm wrapping up, but what I want you to see is that God, God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. God was not in the obvious. God was not in the remarkable. God was in an ordinary whisper. He was in the whisper. Why is it that when life is so difficult why is it that God's voice is so quiet you ever wondered that when life is so difficult why is he why is he so quiet why is he so gentle why is his voice so small I mean God if you wanted to get my attention why don't you just yell at me why doesn't he shout why didn't he speak to us in powerful and spectacular ways if he wants us to know him he wants us to hear him again why does he whisper you know why God whispers? Because he's near. He doesn't have to yell. He's, he's near. He's right there with you. See, the devil shouts his lies. God whispers his truth. God, God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close draw you close. What does he say to you? 
He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've been with you every single moment in this wilderness. And I love you more than you can possibly imagine. When you hurt, I hurt with you. When you struggle, I'm right there because I'm with you in the valley and I'm with you in the wilderness. Why does God whisper? Because God is right here. He's right here. He whispers because he's close. So if you happen to be in a wilderness situation today, I want to encourage you to listen for the whisper. Stop just expecting God to show up with wind and fire and an earthquake. Can God show up like that? Absolutely. Absolutely He can. But more often than not, it's in the quiet. It's a whisper where He says, I'm here, I'm with you, you are loved, you are valued, I'm with you. I'm telling you, in the dry times of your life, in the desolate times, in the wilderness, He is here. And so we celebrate His presence. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but maybe you're here today and you find yourself in some sort of wilderness. It could be a financial wilderness, a relational wilderness, a medical wilderness. You feel like you've been there for so long. If you'd say, Pastor, pray for me that I'll hear God's voice, that I'll hear his gentle whisper. If you'd say, Robert, pray for me, I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand right where you are. Amen. A lot of people. Father, today there are many here who are in a dry place in their life. Father, there are many here today who obviously feel like they're all alone. Father, I pray that they would realize that they're not. I pray that they would experience your presence in a tremendous way. Father, as you whisper to them, I pray that your voice would bring comfort. I pray that your voice would bring peace. I pray that your voice would help them to realize, Father, that you have great plans for them. As we continue to pray, I wonder today also if there's somebody here and you just, you just don't know Jesus. So you think you came to church this morning just to kind of do something, but maybe you've been here today and you've just felt like God has been calling you. He's been whispering to you, hey, it's time for you to stop living for yourself and it's time for you to start living for someone greater. It's time for you to start living for him. And if so, if you're here today and you know today that you need to be saved, you need to give Jesus your heart and your life, and you want to do that, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. Father, today, I surrender to you. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me, 
change me and mold me into a new person. Again, we're continuing to pray, but if you prayed to receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask it right where you are. You just lift your hand so that I can know God's moving. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you so much for new life. Father, we celebrate new life. We celebrate your presence. We celebrate the fact that you still whisper and draw people to yourself. I pray today, I pray today that you just help us to realize that we are blessed to serve a God who loves us so much. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.